good to see each of you here this day as we come together for worship and to remember the saints who've gone on before us as this is All Saints Sunday. Um, several things to call to your attention in the way of announcements. Uh, we remind the children about their programs tonight and remind you that today is the last day to donate items uh, for the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Um, we can also take money to help us with the postage. It is $7 per shoebox that we need. Um, and the shipping uh, must be in by next Sunday. It's got to head on out. We want to thank everyone who helped us with the Halloween carnival and trunk or treat last Sunday. It was a wonderful occasion for our children and for us adults. Uh, it was a great enjoyable experience. And you can visit greerchurch.com to see pictures of all the fun and festivities. And we congratulate the Van Brannan family for winning the annual award for the best junk in the trunk. <laughs> Let's see. Last Sunday, uh, somebody lost a nice lady's ring up in the second floor Family Life Center restroom. If you lost a ring or know someone who did, we've got it. It'll be in the church office uh, following this service. This time, I'd like to call on uh, David Owens to come and share a word with us. Good morning. For over 18 years, the Foundation's Sunday School class has sponsored and um, formed the uh, Thanksgiving Baskets Project for families in need and the community for that many years. Um, this year we, it typically we, we usually have about 60 to 70 names from the schools that uh, families in need. And basically what we do is we go out to the, uh, we go to the families the Sunday before Thanksgiving to make sure that they have a Thanksgiving lunch or a Thanksgiving meal that week. And it's, the whole box provides the turkey, the canned goods, the bread, desserts, things like that. So the, the church has generously supported that throughout those 18 years. This year we've had a request with the economy and with downtimes and people in need. We've had upwards of 80 uh, requests for boxes. So I'm coming to you as a church too. You've, you've supported this in the past and we've basically done a, a real good job with that and we, we thank you for that. But coming to you again this year to ask for your support of that. $25 will supply a whole box full of food for the, for the families. The other thing is uh, we'll be delivering, our class will be delivering those boxes on Thanksgiving, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So if you'd like to come and help deliver those, we've got a lot of deliveries to make that day. Of course, that's a very busy day with Consecration Sunday going on and then Merle State's Hunger Walk after that. So, but we would, we would welcome your support in that also. I think you'll find that fulfilling 
in a way when you make those deliveries to see actually uh, the way some people are having to make do in this in the economy the way it is. But uh, anyway, we'd uh, we'd love to have your support on that and continued support. If you'd like to help with that, you can contact me. But I'll I'll be putting something in the bulletin uh, to give you those times and things like that coming down uh, in the next next week or so. But thank you for your support. I want to bring you up to date on a couple of folks. Uh, Dan Sims has been moved to uh, Traveler's Rest Hospital for continued recovery. Margaret Williams is doing much better. She's at um, the uh, was it Roger C. Peace, that is the rehab center connected with uh, the hospital. And then yesterday, Woody Melton had a heart attack, a uh, quite serious one. He's in the coronary care unit, and uh, June spent the night up there last night along with uh, Mary Allender. So remember Woody. Uh, in your prayers this day especially. I want to call attention, we, we are talking about uh, the departed saints today, but Thursday is a special day in our, in our nation where we remember the, the uh, living veterans. And so I want to ask those of you that have served our country in some capacity uh, in the armed services, uh, would you stand right where you are that we might recognize you? I know you're here. Thank you very much. <clears throat> we continue to acknowledge your contribution to the security and safety of our world and our nation and continue to feel our gratitude toward you for uh, all that you have done for us over many years and uh, for your inspiration to those young folks who are serving in the military today. And we thank you for this. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let us affirm our faith using the words of this historic confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. And this time we invite our children to come forward to join Robbie Septon for a few moments of sharing. Who has Halloween candy left? God, y'all are a lot better than I am. <laughs> Mars was gone the same night. Anybody know what was special about this past Tuesday? The election day, that's right. Now you guys are a little too young to vote, got a few more years, but I'm sure your mommies and daddies went and voted on Tuesday. Um, when, we, when we set out to vote, we're putting people into very important positions that make decisions that affect all of us and we consider a lot of factors but when we voted on Tuesday we voted for our governor and we voted for our lieutenant governor and we voted for people who affect us on the state level and on the national level and as a very important decision that that was but we also have an important decision that even you guys can vote on we can vote to uh, choose to serve the Lord and in my lesson with you this morning I'm using the Bible verse from Joshua 24, verse 15. It says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So we can all have the opportunity to vote to serve the Lord. Now, do we remember some of the funny commercials that we saw before the election? Actually, every commercial before the election. That's the best thing about election day, because we don't have to watch any more of those commercials. <laughs> But we have the chance to go out and, uh, and campaign for the Lord also. We have the chance to tell our friends, uh, like those guys were campaigning, we can help bring our friends in. And that's our job as Christians is to help campaign for the Lord so that we can um, have our friends and our family go out and find other folks who might also vote for the Lord. Um, again, the, the lesson says, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. But, for as, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to say this prayer and close this up. Lord, help us to make the right choices each day. Help us to make the choice to follow and serve you. May we vote to spend our time and our talents for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
this time I'd like to call on Bill Clute to come and share some stewardship information with us. On November 21st, we will have our annual Consecration Sunday. That's when we give our financial pledges to God and to our church, and that's very important um, to us as we plan our budget for 2011. There will be one service that day at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. Immediately following in the FLC, we'll have a catered meal. In preparation of that, we're filling out reservation cards, meal reservation cards, and the ushers, if they'd come forward right now, will hand that out to anyone who did not complete one last week. Just fill it out and place it into the offering plate. In these weeks leading up to November 21st, we're having members of our church come up and give a stewardship moment for us, what stewardship means to them. Last week, Adam Wycliffe got us off to a great start, and this morning, we're very pleased to have Harriet Strait speaking to us. When Bill asked me to speak today, I said to him, that's when we'll be talking about money and pledges, right? And Bill said, it's about more than pledging and making money. What we would really like for you to do is to share what the church has meant to you. So I tell you, fasten your seat belts because you're on for a fast ride. I really don't remember a time in my life when Sunday school and church is, was a place that I went. A highlight for me was when I was 13 years old and I went to confirmation classes to join the church and become an official member of the Methodist Church. When I go back to my home church now, I know exactly where I stood and knelt at the altar on that day. It was extra special because it was the very first day I had ever received Holy Communion. You see, in those days, little children were not invited to come to the altar and receive communion until they were confirmed. My youth years, were spent involved in the MYF of the Methodist Youth Fellowship. And in college, I had the Wesley Foundation. At age 15, I joined the church chancel choir. And I was to be in a choir for the next 45 years of my life. I married in the church and immediately, my husband and I moved to a little community known as Rex, Georgia. It's south of Atlanta. And my husband had accepted a, a student appointment at a little Methodist church. And he was also enrolled to attend theology school at Emory. There were lots more parsonages and lots more churches 
after that. But I want to share that my life's journey with George brought me to this church, Memorial Church, and to Greer. And I want to say thank you because you have truly blessed my life. Together, we as people of faith have made a commitment. We have committed to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure in the ongoing of God's kingdom. Every Sunday morning when our offerings are brought forward and put on this altar, we're saying that we want to be a part of God's work. Why do we give? And what happens because we give? I think because of our giving that our children are greeted on Sunday morning by a loving Sunday school teacher. I believe that we hear the voices of our children and our choir, our musicians who sing praises to God. We give so that there will be this church and together you and I can come to this altar and share in Holy Communion. We give so that the word of God is preached from our pulpit. A shut-in will have their day brightened by a visit from either one of you or a minister. Our young people will be taught about Jesus by committed counselors. We will have Methodist homes for the elderly, like Wesley Commons, and we will have our wonderful Elkworth Children's Home. Food will be available for the people who are hungry. But most importantly, the gospel will be carried to near and faraway places to people who are yearning for a word of hope. All of this happens because of our giving. Bill Clute was absolutely right. Church is about a whole lot more than making pledges and giving. But I think that you will agree with me that giving is important and something that we need to be a part of. I hope that we will give when we're asked so that church can com continue to be in this church and in Greer and in the whole wide world. I always worry just a little bit when a Methodist minister's wife is invited to speak because they know all the dirt. <laughs> Thank you, Harriet, for not sharing it. <laughs> Here our Old Testament lesson now from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. I selected verses there. As I looked, thrones were set up in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, 
His hair, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men everywhere of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is the Canticle of Remembrance on page 652. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this responsive reading. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. And they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. For though in our sight they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found them worthy. In the time of their visitation, they will shine forth and will run like sparks through the stubble. Those who trust in God will understand truth and the faithful will abide in love. Epistle reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together for a time of prayer. We give you thanks, O oh God, for Daniel's vision of things to come, for the fact that he foresaw Jesus ruling now and forevermore, and that he saw your eternal kingdom filled with the saints. We come on this All Saints Sunday to give you thanks for those pioneers who came before us, who lived a life of faithfulness before you and for, before Christ, giving us examples to follow. We are mindful, Lord, that in the earliest days of the church, being faithful to Jesus literally meant carrying a cross or being fed to lions or being killed with the sword. And yet those men and women of faith in Jesus persevered and held fast to their confession. And because of their faithfulness, the message has made its way all the way to our day. We're thankful that in times gone past, people have braved journeys from distant shores that they might come to a place where they can worship freely and tell others about the Savior, to witness to the Native Americans that they found that Jesus is their Savior also. And we're thankful, O oh Lord, that you call us into this parade of the saints, that we too might be living examples for those children and young people who, coming, who are coming after us. Cause us, O oh God, to remember, to draw our strength from you, that we might walk faithfully before those who look up to us. And Lord, may we leave your church stronger than when we found it. And may those who come after us be the saints for their next generation to lead others into your way of life. And help us, O oh Lord, as we face the final chapters in our lives to measure our days and to use our time wisely to serve you and to live as those who are prepared to die, who know they are going forth through death into life eternal. We pray in the name of our risen Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
When I chose that hymn, I had no idea there'd already be snow in the mountains. My goodness. Not here yet, though. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 39. Um, you need to realize that this uh, encounter between Jesus and some Sadducees took the form of them trying to make fun of Jesus. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They're God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the, of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. Here ends the lesson. When I was in the Lutheran seminary, we Methodists enjoyed playful banter with our Lutheran buddies. We would kid them by saying, You know, you Lutherans are just so much deeper in your faith than we Methodists are, I'm sure that you'll get to heaven before we will because the scripture says the dead in Christ will rise first. They would counter by telling us that our churches often fulfill the words of scripture. Many are cold and a few are frozen. Did you hear, by the way, about the church that had 1 Corinthians 15:51 printed on a sign outside of the nursery? You know what that verse of scripture says? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Pretty good word, I guess, for the nursery. Of course, beneath all the playful banter between the Methodists and the Lutherans was a great deal of love and respect, as it is here at Memorial when people pick on me and I pick on others. That was uh, just the way my family operated. We expressed love to one another through playful teasing. I find it uh, interesting that, that sometimes after uh, a time of this, like uh, Bill Clute roasted me pretty good a few weeks ago, several folks called to check on me to make sure I didn't get my feelings hurt. And I thought, man, I felt loved. That's the way in my family we expressed love for each other was through playful banter with each other. Beneath all that humor and beneath all the misuse of scriptures is a, a deep truth that Christians have always believed that there is life beyond life here on earth. 
There is a life beyond earth in eternity and in glory. Very early in the Christian church, surely by the second century AD, Christians were observing an annual day of remembrance for all their saints and martyrs who had died in the previous year. A document regarding the martyrdom of St. Polycarp written about 150 AD attests to this practice. At first, this, uh, this uh, observance was in the spring, the first Sunday after Pentecost. And that's still the date that the Eastern Orthodox Church observes their All Saints Sunday. But in the Church of the West, we moved the date back to November in the 8th century. And that still is the date that we observe here in the Western churches. Since November 1st was All Saints Day, given over to the remembrance of saintly people in heaven, somebody came up with the wild idea that the day before that, October the 31st, was probably going to be a day when the tormented occupants of hell would uh, create a stir coming to earth to bother Christian people. It was believed that the wearing of masks and costumes would ward off those evil spirits, and that's where that custom came from, to dress up on Halloween. Kind of reminds me of that old story that I heard about, you may have heard it too, about the time that the mascot for Duke, the Duke Blue Devil, had car trouble. He broke down up in the mountains, and so he had to get some help. He walked over to a nearby church that was meeting, and people saw the devil walk in the back door and they jumped out of windows and ran out the side doors, just got away except for one man on the front row who couldn't seem to get his legs to move and he just sat there real quietly as the Duke Blue Devil came up to him. And as the mascot approached the old man, the old man said, you don't scare me, Mr. Devil. I've been on your side all the time. <laughs> Even though in our society, everyone has their own individual funeral and day of celebration. It's still a good thing to have another day of remembrance for all of our loved ones who died in the previous year. It's also good to expand that year to think about our lifetimes, those that we have loved and have lost to the church triumphant. It's a good, to, good to have that day. And so on this All Saints Sunday, we come to remember all of these who have died, and especially those who have died since last All Saints Sunday. The scripture lessons for today all speak about the continuing existence of the saints in glory. The passage in Daniel is especially interesting because it appears to be an image of Judgment Day. God, the Ancient of Days, takes his seat upon his throne. He is indeed holy, perfectly pure, snowy white, from head to foot, even his hair. His throne is pure and holy, as symbolized by the blaze, the fire. Fire is even flowing out from his throne like a river in front of him. He has a large number of attendants and an audience of 100 million people, if we use that number literally. Symbolically, it means a, a number too great to count. Court is in session. Books are opened. But it seems to me that the proceedings are interrupted before the books could go very far into being opened because there's someone that arrives who appears to be a normal human being in many ways, except that he bears the title of that messianic figure, the Son of Man. 
He is escorted into the room by the clouds of heaven. And as he approaches Almighty God, attendants meet him and escort him to the throne of God's presence. God not only greets the Son of Man, but he also turns over to him complete authority and glory and power. Suddenly, all people from everywhere and in every language begin worshiping this Son of Man. Daniel says that this is the one who had been given all power and authority by God and that he would never lose that power. His kingdom would never be destroyed. His dominion would never pass away. The vision of Daniel is indeed remarkable, even though it was written a century and a half before the birth of Jesus, it still gives us an image of Jesus' coronation and an idea about the expectations of the people of that day regarding their coming Messiah. For us, the image makes us think of Jesus' ascension into heaven where he is seated at the place of highest authority in heaven at the right hand of God. Therefore, we can remain strong no matter what comes our way in life because we know who the victor is. We know that we will be in the vast multitude of those saints around his throne. The part of the vision that would have astounded most people who first heard it was that there were so many people there from every nation and language because Daniel's people had suffered persecution first under Nebuchadnezzar and later under Antiochus Epiphanes. Christians were being exterminated by the Romans. But Daniel said, not only does the Messiah prevail, but he also wins the hearts of many people from every culture on earth. Thanks be unto God. The passage from 1 Thessalonians is also inspiring and inspirational. It is thought to be the first of the New Testament the Testament books to be written down, written to address some concerns that the people of Thessalonica had. There were some in the early church that had all the wrong ideas. They feared that Christians who had died, who had fallen asleep, to use Paul's symbolic language, that those would not be included in the Messiah's reign when Jesus returned. They thought that the Messianic era was reserved for those who were still alive when Christ returns. Not so, said Paul. When Jesus returns, he will bring an army of deceased Christians with him. In fact, they will get first place in the resurrection parade. Those who are alive at the time of Christ's return will be changed like Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then, after being changed, we will join those in the sky to meet Jesus and welcome him as he returns, says Paul. And we will be with Christ forever. So don't think of the departed departed saints as dead and gone. Their bodies may appear to be asleep, but their souls are in the Lord's hands, in Christ's hands, in glory, waiting to return with him. Therefore, Paul says, go ahead and grieve when someone dies, but just don't let your grief be like that of most normal human beings who have no faith and no hope. Our grief is always tempered and comforted by the hope and the knowledge that our sainted friends 
are with Christ in glory. And parenthetically, I would caution you from getting too caught up in trying to understand exactly how life after death works. The same Bible that describes life after death in terms of a sleep state followed by a wake-up bodily resurrection from the grave also says that to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with Christ in heaven. We wonder how both of those can be true. It remains a mystery as it should. Both of these metaphors are trying to express something that we find hard to express, mainly that life goes on for us in Christ after our bodies die because God utters a resurrection command to each one of us when we die. His command is come forth. With a loud command, with the voice of our archangel, with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ arise. The gospel lesson is a story about an encounter between some Sadducees and Jesus. The Sadducees didn't believe in heaven, and so they told a little joke designed to make fun of people like Jesus who did believe in eternal life. A woman was married to and then widowed by seven brothers who all left her childless. Whose wife will she be then in heaven? You see how impossible heaven is, they reasoned. Jesus handled their little joke with great class, making it a teaching moment. Life in the heavenly realm isn't like that, Jesus said. First, you've got to be worthy of heaven, said Jesus. That was a shocker for them. You and I know that our worthiness is a gift that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift of God's grace, not our deserving. But Jesus seems to enjoy letting these Sadducees uh, sweat about that for a little bit. And then he adds that earthly marriage has an earthly purpose, the establishment of a stable home for children, but this won't be a need in heaven. In heaven, human existence resembles more more than anything else like the life of angels because like the angels we no longer face death and then Jesus reminds the Pharisees that their personal hero Moses believed in heaven as shown by the fact that he referred to God as the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob long after those three men had lived and died but to God they were not dead Jesus said they are still living for to God, all people are alive, said Jesus. Since they live in communion with God, and since we experience communion with God here on earth as we worship, in a mysterious way, we and the saints have a connection here and now. One of the things that we possess, we, we profess that we believe in their um, Apostles' Creed is the communion of the saints. What this uh, phrase means is that we believe there's a basic unity between believers on earth and believers in heaven as we commune with God through prayer and worship. We are connected to them and with them in some wonderfully mysterious way when we are worshiping God. Now, several years ago when I was in Spartanburg, I was invited to a Spartanburg uh, Civic Club's pastor's appreciation luncheon and I did appreciate the luncheon the guest speaker that day really helped me with my idea of the communion of the saints he was the priest 
at the Greek Orthodox Church. And he explained that people are wrong when they say that Eastern Orthodox people pray to the saints. He says, oh no, we pray to God just like you Protestants do. But then he added, you know, when you and I are very concerned about something, don't we tell our friends and neighbors and get on the phone and call our friends and say, please pray about something with me. I need your prayers to help me. He says, we do the same thing with the saints. We ask them in heaven to join us in praying about things we're concerned about. We ask our kinfolks in heaven to pray about the things we're worried about. I found that to be an awesome idea. My mother had just died. And a few weeks after that luncheon, our son was involved in a horrible accident I'm going to try to tell you about. As I drove down to meet him at the Clinton exit off of I-26, expecting to be told that there were fatalities in that awful wreck. I asked my departed mother to round up all the kinfolk and to please join me in prayer for my little boy, who I was so worried about. I'm sorry, folks. <clears throat> it was a powerful moment for me in that car as I prayed. And as I thought about the saints praying with me. It turned out okay. Thank goodness no one was killed. But what a wonderful thing it is to know that the saints in glory join us in prayer and join us in worshiping God. That was a little harder than I expected it to be. I apologize. In the Salvation Army tradition, they have a, a wonderful phrase. Every year they have a roll call, and when the name of a departed saint is called, someone will say, not present here, he's been promoted to glory. What a wonderful thing. Since last November 1st, we've had 13 church members to be promoted to glory. I would like you to join me in remembering these this day as I call their names and the order of their deaths. And I would like to invite you to stand, if you would, and remain standing for the closing prayer. Here are the names of those of our congregation who've been promoted to glory. Kenneth Smith, John Kay, Kay Gray, Clyde Dobson, Bob Woodward, Earl Hudson, Treva Hammond, Virginia Waters, Barbara Pennington, Betty Sowell, Helen Flynn, Francis Tucker, and Merle State. Let us pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham and Sarah, God of Joshua and Deborah, God of Ruth and David, God of Mary and Joseph, God of the apostles and martyrs, God of our mothers and fathers, God of our children, to all generations. We give you thanks for these whom we've named and for others we're calling to you from our hearts. 
Thank you for the saintly examples of faithful living that they gave us, inspiring us to follow Jesus. We pray that we might feel united with them once again today as we join them in worshiping you. And when our time comes to join the saints above, may our departure be that of those who know that they're going forth from death into life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.